Well, good morning once again. If you will turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5, that's the passage that we are find ourselves in in our study of the book of John, John chapter 5. This is a section that's going to begin in around verses 16 and 17 and go all the way to verse 47. Of course, we're not going to do that this morning, but I will just tell you, this is a complicated section. This has got some complications in it for us to understand, and so we have to take some time just to go through and look at it more closely. But basically, what's happening here is interesting, very interesting, because Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel. And Jesus is making it very clear in this passage, and that's, this, this passage is unique to so many in the fact that Jesus makes it very clear in this passage that he is God. That is what is going to just come across strongly as we go through and look at the verses throughout John chapter 5 and the verses especially today. You know, it's very important that you understand as a Christian, you've got to get the nature of Jesus right. You've got to know the person of Christ and who he is. You need to know um, what, that Jesus is not just a man, that he is not just a teacher, but that he is God. You must know that. I tell people many times, it's important as a Christian that I understand the person of Christ and the work of Christ. When I understand that, I can identify error. When I understand who he is and what he did, I can recognize error. I don't have to study all the cults. I know when someone says something contrary to the person of Christ or the work of Christ. I know that the Mormon Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible was not Satan's brother. He's not just a good man or a good prophet, as some religions would teach. I know that contrary to what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, for example, that the work of Christ is a finished work. It's not a work that you add to with keeping sacraments and other human activities. I know that the work of Christ is a completed, finished work. He doesn't need to be sacrificed again every week on an altar in a mass. I know that the work of Christ is, is, it attacks all the religions of human work that tell you you have to do something to get to God or to earn a right standing before God. When I understand the person of Christ and the work of Christ, I recognize error because it contradicts exactly what passages like we're looking at this morning and other passages on the atonement, for example, speak to in the scripture. You must know, you must know your Bible. You must know what it teaches about Jesus. So essential to being a Christian that you get a firm grasp on this kind of theology that's being presented here in this text. He is God. He is Son of God. In fact, he says, he wants you to believe, at the end of the book, he says, I want you to believe, John says, I want you to believe that he is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God. Son in the sense of essence, the same essence as God. That is what is meant by Son of God. You are sons of Adam. It means you have the same essence as Adam. You don't have the essence of a tree. You don't have the essence of an animal. You have the essence of a man, of a human being. When I say we're a son of Adam, we all are. We all have that connection to Adam because we are the same essence. 
And the same thing is true when we speak of the Son of God. He has the same essence as God. And that's what we're looking at this morning in John 5, 16. We're going to start in verse 16, but actually 17 is where he starts talking to them. But in verse 16, look there with me. For this reason, what reason? The reason was he just healed a man in Bethsaida's pool who'd been laying there 38 years. He would heal that man and told that man to get up and walk. He told that man to pick up his pallet. But he also said something controversial. Pick up your pallet on the Sabbath. That was controversial to the religious leaders who were standing by and and heard him say that. He was doing so for this reason. They were the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them. This is where his dialogue starts with them. My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Commentary by John, verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also, notice, was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Verse 19, Jesus speaking again. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will, <laughs> notice this, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. They're going to pick, about right now they're picking up rocks, okay? About right now, when that statement is made, and we'll see this in a moment, they're starting to get ready to pick up rocks. Even as they honor the Father, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Let me just lay some theological groundwork before we start about the Trinity. You've heard of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, the triunity, one God, three persons. That's the Trinity. Three eternally existing persons of the Godhead. We have a Trinitarian Godhead, a triunity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Working together in some fashion. Some examples. They were all present at the resurrection. They're all present in salvation. They're all present at redemption. Follow me. The Father's love and choice, and He predestines and He sends, God, sends Christ into the world. He sends the God the Son into the world. That's what the Father does. The Son, God the Son, takes on human flesh, lives a perfect life, dies the perfect death, and rises again. He is called the one and only mediator between God and man. He was sent by the Father. 
He's God in human flesh. The Father is not God in human flesh. But the Son is God in human flesh. The Spirit applies the work of redemption. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit regenerates. The Spirit gives new birth. The Spirit indwells the believer and and, and sanctifies the believer. God the Spirit does that. God the Son. God the Father. All the same one God doing those things. In creation, listen to this. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, God the Father, created the heavens and the earth. Notice in verse 2, and the Spirit was moving over. The Spirit of God was moving over the surfaces of the water. So in creation, God the Father, the Spirit moving over the, creation, the waters of, at creation of the world. And then you go and read in John 3, he says this, all things came into being through Christ. Through Christ. So we're told that creation, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. We're also told in Hebrews chapter 1, through whom he also made the world. Colossians tells us that he is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things, talking about Christ. God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Father, all working in creation, one God. One God. Revealing God to men. The Scriptures, for example, 2 Timothy 3.16, the Scriptures, we're told, are God-breathed out of the mouth of God the Father. Hebrews 1 tells us God first spoke long ago through the prophets in these last days has spoken through His Son. His Son has revealed the Father. Jesus even said that, I came to reveal the Father to you. Look at me, you see the Father. 1 Peter 1.21, men moved by the Holy Spirit wrote the Scriptures. So in the revelation of the Scriptures, it was God the Spirit revealing. It was God the Son revealing. It was God breathing. God the Father breathing. All three, all three persons of the Godhead involved in the revelation of God's Word and sanctification. Notice this, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. God the Father is working in you. Therefore, you can work out your salvation because God the Father is at work in you. That's sanctification. Then you come to Galatians 2, 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In, in my sanctification, Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. God the Father in salvation, excuse me, in, in um, sanctification. God the Son in sanctification. And then the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, it's like beholding in a mirror. As I behold Christ, the Spirit transforms me into the same image from glory to glory. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. Father, Son, and Spirit involved in all three of those, one God. One God. You know what? One, one person called it this way, and I totally agree with him. It's called divine teamwork. Divine teamwork. That's what it is. Divine teamwork. And that's what Jesus is going to say in John 5. It's divine teamwork. There is no distinction in essence whatsoever. It's not one essence over here, one essence over here, one essence over here. It's one essence, God. All three 
co-equal. Task divided, yes. That's the Trinity. Don't ask me to explain it, I can't. I can't. But within the Trinity, you have leadership and submission. You have the Father is in charge. The Father sends the Son. The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit fully, uh, the Spirit fully is equal. He works behind the scenes for the glory of the Father and the Son. These are just revealed truths about the Trinity. That's the only reason I know them, and you know them, is because the Bible says these things about the, the Godhead. It's all part of the doctrine of the Trinity. You can illustrate it, though illustrations are, are you know, restricted in some ways, but you can say the husband-wife relationship, for example. A man and a woman are equal in essence. Standing before God, it's the same. However, the wife is to submit to the husband's leadership. The father and the son, just as the father and the son are equal, the husband and the wife are equal except in their task and their roles. So, all of what I just said to you comes into play here in this text, in John chapter 5. Look with me at verse 18 of John chapter 5. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father. See that? Making himself equal with God. They get the point. They get the point. I'm not a God. I'm not a sub-God. I'm God. Get that straight. Sometimes you say, oh, he's a sub-God. He's not a sub-God. He's not a sub-God. He is God, and the Jewish leaders got it. Sometimes people want to say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, they have not read John 5. They have not read John 5, because that is simply an untrue statement. These people knew it, and it just added to their reasons to want to kill him and persecute him. He talks about imitating in verse 19. Therefore, Jesus answered, look at verse 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. It's imitation. I imitate the Father. I imitate the Father. There's equality, but also a divine teamwork here that is taking place as the Son is submitting to the Father. The historical setting, I've already told that to you, but look back at verse 5. You saw this in verse 5, excuse me, verse 9, John 5, verse 9. Immediately, the man at the pool of Bethsaida became well, picked up his pallet, and began to walk, and now it was the Sabbath day. That was the problem. I told you that earlier. They had a lot of Sabbath rules, and one of them was you don't pick up your pallet on the Sabbath. You don't pick up your pallet on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. They had 39 things you could not do on the Sabbath, and this was one of them. Jesus could have healed the next day. I told you this last Sunday. Jesus could have waited till the next day. The guy was not terminally ill. But Jesus chose that day. You know why? He wants the confrontation. He wants the confrontation. You say, well, does Jesus want to get himself killed? Yes, he does. He does. 
He will choose the moment it will happen. No man takes my life, but he came for one purpose, and that was to die. And he's certainly here to correct all the wrong thinking about who he is, who God is, and about God's law, and all of those things. He offended the Jewish leaders, for sure. Go back up to verse 16. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Things is plural, meaning this isn't the only thing. They knew of other things. Get that. John only has seven miracles that we talk about. Jesus did thousands of miracles. John only records seven. The whole book of John is around the structure of these seven miracles. But he did things like this. See the word is plural there. Healing people on the Sabbath. He was not known as a Sabbath keeper. And these were things that upset the scribes and the Pharisees because the Sabbath was central to Judaism. They had made it that way. They had made it a miserable day. It was not a day of refreshment and relaxation. It was a day of law and burden. And so, these men, they had the opportunity to repent. They could re- these, these religious leaders could have repented at any point. Some do. Repentance or rejection, that is, that is what Christ is. He is, the ro- he is the rock in the stream. He divides the water. You're with him or you're against him. He does not soften his message to appeal or appease anyone. He says it like it is. And these men need to know, these false religious leaders need to know their message is false. And this controversy will lead to his execution. There will be an ultimate controversy at the end. We're about a year and a half out from the crucifixion. But things are going to start intensifying for sure. Verse 18, the Jews were seeking all, back down there, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So Jesus has an opportunity here now to defend himself and to speak. Uh, what are you, why are you doing this on the Sabbath is a sort of a question. What justification do you have for healing a man on the Sabbath day? They want to know. The crowds want to know. The religious leaders want to know. And Jesus' defense is it's divine teamwork. It's just divine teamwork. Hey, when you're God, you do what God does kind of thing. Verse 17, back to that verse again. At this, all this He says, but he answered, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. I'm just doing what my father's doing. Uh, He's my father. God is your father. Yeah, this means I'm, um, that means I'm God. (laughs) Means um, I'm like my father, and I have the same nature as my father, and I'm sinless, even if you wanted to push this, you could, but we're not going that direction, but that's certainly what it means as well. My father. Verse 18, calling God his father, making himself equal to God. I've read this verse a couple times now, but he drives the theological statement to the, strongly in, this, in these verses, calling God his own father, making himself, notice, equal with God. That's what he means when he says God is his father. And they want to kill the Sabbath breaker, and they want to kill this man for his blasphemy of claiming to be equal with God. He's in God's category. We're in Adam's category. We're sons of Adam. He's son of God. And he says, I can work on on the Sabbath. You know why I can work on the Sabbath? You know why I can work on the Sabbath? Because my father is working on the Sabbath. My father's working. That's how his answer goes. 
My, my Father is working. And we are a divine team. He's going to give some evidences here in the following verses. But we are a divine team, and what he does, I do. He works on the Sabbath, I work on the Sabbath. He doesn't care about your Sabbath rules, I don't care about your Sabbath rules. Verse 17 back there, that's where his defense started. I read that for you. We're the same essence in nature. Let me just say one more thing about that. They, they would say, the Jews would have said, he would have to sustain creation somehow. If Jesus stopped working on Saturday, the whole universe would collapse. So they came up with a way to get around that thinking. But the point is, Isaiah, Isaiah says, God does not grow weary and he never rests. He doesn't need a Sabbath. I don't need a Sabbath. I don't need to rest on the Sabbath. He's done nothing wrong and I've done nothing wrong. I'm just doing what the Father does. Go to verse 18. For this reason, I know I'm going back over these verses. I'm just trying to drive home a point here before we move into these evidences. But for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. And they understood the implications of what he is saying. And they knew that this was more this is more than just a man this is a man standing in front of them in peasant clothing he's a carpenter and he's making claims about being equal to god you and i are on this side of everything and we go well, yeah i get it we, I, I have no problem with that they i guarantee you they had problems with this lots of problems with this this is from cs lewis this is a mere mere christianity Listen to this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. Here's the foolish thing that people say about Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, end of quote. C.S. Lewis says, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, and you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, he did not intend to. Claim to be God. That's what you need to say to people, Jesus was God. John 5 is very clear. Liar, lunatic, or Lord, one Christian apologist said. He's liar, lunatic, or Lord. And so Jesus looks at them and says, God and I are the same. And they want to kill him for it. He gives some evidences. Look at verse 19. 
Therefore, Jesus answered was saying, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. I'm imitating the father. He restates verse 17 again. I'm imitating the father. I'm the same essence of, as God. If that upsets you about me doing something on the Sabbath, just know it's something that God does. I'm just, I know I'm emphasizing these verses a lot here at the beginning, but follow with me. If, if you're upset with me doing these things, just understand something. This is something God would be doing as well. You're upset with God if you're upset with me. God heals people on the Sabbath. People have gotten rid of the flu on the Sabbath before. God works on the Sabbath. What right have I got to tell God that he cannot work on the Sabbath and that he cannot tell somebody to pick up their pallet on the Sabbath? I am God. I am just doing what he does. This is his argument to them about why he does what he does. Verse 20, now we're moving. For the, Lord, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. So here's the motivation for their teamwork. The motivation for their teamwork is the Father loves the Son. And I can't overemphasize this enough because this has incredible, incredible implications for you and I sitting in this room this morning, the fact that the Father loves the Son. Listen, this is at the very core of our salvation right here, that the Father loves the Son. It explains by Jesus is the only way to God, and and, and I'll explain more in just a moment, but Jesus is building a powerful case here as he tells these religious leaders where he's from. If you attack me or criticize me, you've got to break through a, as one writer said, a incredible wall of divine nepotism. The Father loves the Son. If you go after the Son, you're in trouble with God. That's what he says. And that verb in verse 20, he says it in John 17. He says, you love me before the foundation of the world. Understand this divine love relationship with God. This is something that has been going on for eternity. The Father loving the Son. The Son loving the Father before the foundation of the world. John 17, 24. He says that. And it's in, the, in verse 20 in John 5 is in the present tense. It's a continuous love for the Father, a love for the Son. It's continuous And let me just say this as a footnote to everything, because I think this gives you a big picture here. And you're going to have to think about this for a a few years. But I'm just going to say say this to you to give you a big picture thing here. The primary cause of your salvation this morning is not you. It's not you. The primary cause of your salvation is because God the Father loves the Son, and God the Father wanted to give a bride to the son he wanted to give a love gift to the son he wanted to give a redeemed humanity to the son because he loved the son yes john three sixteen says for god so loved the world that he gave so that you and i could believe and be saved yes i understand that's secondary that's secondary primary primary is god's love for the son the Father's love for the Son. He loved the Son and wanted to give the Son a love gift, the bride 
a redeemed humanity to sing praises to his name for all eternity. That puts this on a higher level. You and I are caught up on this level. We are caught up in a divine love relationship between the Father and the Son. Does that make sense? You hadn't thought about it. We don't think about it that way. Bigger things going on here than you and I sitting in this room and coming to Christ. This is the result of what God did. That's why Jesus says, those whom he has given to me. You follow that in John 6? Those whom he has given to me, God is calling out a people to give to the Son because he loves the Son. You and I are the result of that love for the Son. Hey, that's, that's big theology there, but think about that. It puts us on a bigger plane. It's not just because he saw my need and your need. I'm, I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he rescued me. I'm glad he forgave me. I'm glad he, he lifted me out of the pit of darkness. He did all of that, but he did it for a bigger reason than me and bigger reason than you. It's because the Father loves the Son. You religious leaders, if you're going to mess with me, you're going to mess with that guy. My Father, to whom I am equal to, And so, love means he holds nothing back for the son. He knows exactly, he says, I know exactly what he's doing. I know exactly what he wants done. There's imitation going on here because the father and the son have this relationship. We're still in verse 20. All things that he himself is doing and the father will show him greater works than these which you, okay, let me, let me start over. Go to the last phrase. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Up to this point, you've seen a healing. You've seen some healings. But there's coming some greater works. Some greater only God can do works. And you're going to marvel. Reference to the next verses. He's going to raise the dead and he's going to be the judge of the universe. You marvel at the miracle, and you should, because that gives evidence to my claim. But there are going to be greater works than these. Specifically, verse 21 and 22, he's going to raise the dead, and he's going to be the judge of the entire universe. These are his evidences for what he is saying. Let's look at verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so... The Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Imitation. This is what God does. This is what the Son does. Because why? The God and the Son are equal. Jesus puts himself in God's category again. Only God can do this. And there's a reference here, I believe, also to sovereign authority and whomever he wishes. Some have called, referred to this and thought this verse to refer to spiritual Um, a spiritual raising of the dead, and I think that's possible, but I'm going to get to that in another verse. I'll come back as a cross-reference. He he spiritually regenerates those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world, whom he wishes. There's a sovereign choice there. Some have said this verse refers to that. I think we're just going to stick with the idea that he's able to raise the dead. Like, like, uh, 
like he was raised from the dead. God raises from the dead, Acts 3, 14 uh, or 15. You put the prince of life to death, God raised him from the dead. Acts 4, 10, you crucified the Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, God raised him from the dead. That's God's work, raising people from the dead. And Jesus says, no, this is something I see God doing and this is something I'm going to do as well. We're talking physical resurrection here, okay? Physical resurrection. And Jesus is going to do that. We're going to see it a funeral procession. We're going to see it. He goes into the house of the priest, one of the priests, and he heals his son or daughter. And then and the, and the one that really stands out is in John 11, the raising Zachariah, uh, excuse me, Lazarus from the dead. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always, I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, so they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came from the tomb. What's Jesus doing here? Evidence, evidence, evidence that I imitate my father, evidence that I am God. I do things only God can do. I'm in the God category. I'm not in the Son of Man category. I, he was called the Son of Man, and he certainly was the Son of Man, but I'm, he's more than the Son of Man. He's the God-man. Verse 22, I'm going to move on down to verse 22. I'll, pick up, I'll come back to this verse as we move through later next week. But in verse 22... For even the Father, for not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. What He's saying there, you've seen it in the, in the, the power to raise the dead. You've seen it in the healings I've done. I've done things only God can do. I'm in the God category for those things. And now He's saying, for not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. Full authority to judge has been given to Christ. He's saying, just turn to Revelation 20 for a moment. Revelation chapter 20. This is the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. Hold your hand in John 5. We'll be right back to that. But in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12. 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. This is 2011. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the crate and small standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Jesus is saying this, I'm that judge right there. That is what he's saying to these religious leaders. That's me sitting on that throne, judging all humanity. All humanity will be judged by me. Standing there in his peasant clothes, carpenter clothes, making the claim that he is God and he's the judge of the entire universe. You're going to marvel he says, you're going to marvel. You're going to marvel. I work, I work in concert with, I work in concert with the Father as the judge of the universe. I work in concert with the Father as the one who can raise the dead. 
they think he's out of his they think he has got to be out of his mind. Even his own brothers and sisters, we learn in one of the other gospels, thought he was crazy. But these are a, a, a profound declaration, self-declaration of his deity. I am fully divine. I am a teammate with God the Father. I did that healing. I'm raising the dead. I do that as judge. And now we come to verse 23. And this is the one, this is the one they start picking up the rocks right here. So that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So that, all these things before this, so that, Judge of the world and, and raising the dead and imitating God so that, claiming to be equal with God so that, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Here's the problem. Jewish theology. Did we sing this in here? Or we still just taught in Sunday school. There's only one God in Jewish theology and you don't worship other gods. You don't worship other gods. You only honor God. And he, that God desires worship. And Jesus is saying, I desire worship. I desire worship. As much as God the Father. This is, <laughs> this, I don't know how I got to finish, the, finish his sermon. I really don't. You can see why they're picking up the rocks. (laughs) It's blasphemy in their minds. You, you, I'm not just a teammate, he says. I'm God, and I'm to be worshipped. I'm to be worshipped. See, if if you claim to believe in God and you reject Jesus, I like God, not so sure about Christ, whoa, you don't have any ground to stand on for that statement. He's God. And he is to be honored and worshipped as God. This is full equality. Full equality stated right here. Everything prior to this just sort of dissolves into full equality right here. Worship. Bow down. Give adoration and praise to me. Make much of me. Listen to Isaiah 48, 11. For my own sake, God speaking, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profane and my glory I will not give to another? You know what Jesus is saying? He is saying, what you give to God, give to me. That's what he's saying. God says you're not to worship any other gods. God says you're not to give his glory to anyone else. God says I will share my glory with no one. Jesus is saying what you give to God, give to me. The same glory you give to God, you give to me. Wow, see that's central to Old Testament thinking. He alone is God. He will share his glory with no one. Jesus saying, you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, it's right for me to do this. It's right for me to share his glory because I am God. If he weren't God, folks, it would be wrong for him to say this. Because he is God, he can 
say this. And, and you say, wow, that is so shocking. This is shocking. But we have been prepared for this, folks. Go back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We were prepared for this. The whole book of John has prepared us for John chapter 5. For Jesus to make these incredible statements. We, we've been set up, the, set up for this. The pre-existent, co-eternal Son desires honor just as the Father desires honor. Worship the Son. Worship the Father. So, this is uh, just, just really, you see what's going on. You see what's going on in the as he has confronted them with the truth. Because this is not mild and meek and sweet Jesus here. He's not saying, not trying to appease his crowd. He's not trying to change the message. He's not trying to compromise it in any way. And then he gives this invitation, and I leave you with this invitation this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, hears, idea of faith, with ears of faith, Here's my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. That's the invitation he gives to anyone who hears his words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Jesus is the only way to God. <laughs> That's how God made it. Jesus, God loves the Son. The Son's the only way to God. God the Son is the only way to God the Father. God the Son satisfied the wrath of God the Father. God the Son is the one who hung on a cross and died for our sin. God cannot die. Man can. God became a man and died. He died in our place, suffered for us. That by faith in him, we might pass out of death into life. This is the message this culture all around us needs to hear. There's no way you can work your way to heaven. There's no good works you could do to make you right before God. There's nothing you can do that will satisfy the wrath of God. You owe God a debt and you cannot pay it. Only Jesus paid it for you. He paid it for you. And you will face judgment if he doesn't pay it for you. Because you don't want to go into eternity without your debt being paid by Christ by believing in Christ and trusting him to pay that debt for you. Wow, God, what a passage. What a passage to think about this morning. Just powerful words by our Savior. God, we are just overwhelmed with the great truth of this message that the Jesus that we proclaim and sing about is Jesus, the living God. We praise you. We thank you, Father, for these truths that strengthen our understanding of you, strengthen our devotion to you, strengthen our worship to you and our praise to you. Thank you so much, Father, for 
allowing us to spend time this morning looking at these verses and being edified by what you have written. In Jesus' name, amen.